We are just going to get into God's Word here this morning. If you have a Bible, um, you can open up to Luke chapter 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, if you don't own one, it's our gift to you. But one thing we take very seriously, that is that uh, the stuff I'm saying up here, the stuff that uh, comes out of my mouth uh, from this pulpit uh, is derived from the Scriptures. And so... Um, I want you to keep me honest. I want you to see what I'm seeing uh, as we go. And uh, yeah, I, pr- I trust God will speak. So let's, let's read. We're, we're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says this. And he called the twelve together, this being Jesus, and gave them power and authority over all demons. And to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you when you leave that town shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere let's come to the lord in prayer guys god thank you that we don't have to wonder What you would say. Thank you that we don't have to try to uh, conjure up in our own minds a sense of the divine voice or go searching for you under each stone or up to the furthest heaven. Lord, thank you that you have come down and you have spoken. That the word was God, the Word is God, the Word became flesh. You speak to us in the Scriptures, Lord. You let us know your will in the Scriptures. You disclose your heart to us in the Scriptures. Thank you, God, that we get a chance to open them up this morning. And I pray, uh, Sovereign King, that you would come and address, address your church, address your people. I pray, God, that you would... Um, awaken us to the great mission that you've put each one of your people on. That it is true that every saint is sent, that every saint is a missionary, a called one, a sent one of God. I pray that you would help us, God, to, um, to grow a heart for our neighbors, to grow a heart for our city, to grow a heart for this nation and world. God, I pray you to accomplish that and more in our time together, Jesus, this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So we talked last week. Um, if you weren't here, I'll summarize it very quickly for you. But we talked last week about how In Luke's gospel, we have now really turned a corner um, as we come to chapter 9. 
that here in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, two things, two radically significant things emerge for the very first time. I'll give them to you again. The first thing I'll make note of is that this is the first time in Luke's gospel where Jesus actually sits his disciples down and says, listen, guys, I know this thing is great. We love what's going on here. But soon I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And I'm going to go. The first time he's going to disclose that to his disciples, Luke chapter 9. Second thing that uh, we see first taking place in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel is that now Jesus starts to include his disciples. In particular, the apostles here, but actually in chapter, chapter 10, we'll see uh, 72 or kind of the rest of his disciples. He starts to include his disciples in his ministry and mission. Up to this point, it's been kind of, hey, watch and learn. Just sit back and watch me. Now, all of a sudden, chapter 9, get in the game. I'm sending you. And the uh, correlation between these two things that, that are uh, disclosed in chapter 9, uh, obviously, is quite plain. Because here's what we come to realize. Because Jesus is no longer, or is not for much longer going to be physically present on the earth. He is therefore raising up his apostles, his disciples, his church, you and I, to carry on his mission in the world. That's where we get the title for this, what's becoming now a sermon mini-series. Every Saint Sent. Every Saint Sent. Sent. We are missionaries, sent, one, sent ones of God. If we are Christians, we are on his mission. Last time, we looked at what I called preparatives. Uh, those things that Jesus does with his disciples to kind of prepare them to be his missionaries. Uh, we looked at three things. That he, he calls them to himself, intimate communion, come watch, learn from me. Right? We see that in the text. He gives them power and authority for the mission, and then he sends them out. Three kind of things done in preparation for this mission that they are about to enter into. But now, this morning, we come to what I would call objectives. In other words, we come to the very things that Jesus is, in fact, sending them out to do. So we ask the question, if we are on his mission, if we are his sent ones, what is he sending us to do? And in this text, we see two things in particular there in verse 2. He sent them out to what? Proclaim the kingdom of God and to what? Heal. To proclaim and to heal. Is a ministry of word and a ministry of deed. Declare the gospel and give demonstration of its power. Explain the gospel and give evidence of what Christ the King can do to a fallen, broken, 
life. Show the, or I should say, share the story and show the story when you touch a person with your hand and their, you know, leprosy or their illness or their brokenness, even physically, starts to go. It's kind of like what uh, Harvey Kahn, one of the old professors at Westminster, would call um, gospel show and tell. It's the ministry these guys are on. You remember show and tell when you were a kid? You don't just come in and talk, right, about something. The, the, the fun part is bringing that thing in so that everybody can see it. So my daughter, I mean, they do this every week. This is a big deal. What am I going to bring? I mean, sometimes it's a crisis before school starts. What, is, what starts with the letter L? It's my day. I have something to show and tell. This is the mission. Share the story, declare the news, absolutely, but then show it, manifest it, proclaim and heal, proclaim and heal. We are this morning really just going to deal with the first of those two. And actually, as it turns out, we spent two weeks on just that to proclaim. Um, I want to ask the question, therefore, what does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of God? Or if you notice, it's essentially synonymous with what's put there in verse six to preach the gospel. What does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of God? What does it mean if we're sent out to preach the gospel, to share the story with others, the ministry of word? If you and I are God's missionaries, God's sent ones, and if this is one of our prime objectives how do we do it? What does it look like? So that's what we're going to think about for a little bit here. It um, seems to me, maybe I could be wrong on this, but I've been around long enough. I think this is the case. It seems to me that when it comes to evangelism, um, too often Christians are kind of Famous for uh, uh, pushing in and then talking over. <laughs> Did you catch that? Pushing in uh, and talking over. Uh, perhaps we have taken some sort of class or we've memorized some sort of method or whatever it is. We have some sort of gospel uh, presentation and we can't wait to get it out. And from a good heart, hopefully, usually... We desire to make that known, but here's what happens. We end up kind of letting our own agenda and our own excitement uh, kind of overwhelm the person we're talking with. And we let our own agenda trump perhaps the, the real questions and concerns of the individual right in front of us that we're trying to reach. I don't know if you've experienced that i've been both the recipient of that and i know that i have done that to others but the result of this whole evangelistic enterprise is that oftentimes it feels somewhat awkward and it feels a bit artificial i just got to get my message out and then i'll move on i evangelized okay whew, feel good and in the end what we find is we don't really want to 
We don't want to proclaim. But what I just perhaps gave caricature of there is not what we see happen with Jesus, his apostles, his disciples in the early church, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. It seems to me that when they go out and evangelize, when they go out and share, there are dimensions to the way that they share the story that are often lost on us. And I, I don't want that to be the case. And if I could just full disclosure, cards on the table here up front, I'm learning too, big time, I mean, about evangelism. Uh, I'm convicted all the time about the ways I fall short. I'm, I'm wanting to grow with you. So I don't come with all the answers. I don't come as the perfect uh, example of this. I, I just want to say, God, how do we do this? And as I'm reading the scriptures, I'm seeing some things. I'm going, man, we are not tapping into something. I want to learn to be more like Christ, more like his disciples. If, in fact, we are carrying on Jesus's mission, don't you think it makes sense that our gospel proclamation should take its cues from the way he does it? From the way he does it. So I want to. Back up for a moment. I want to give actually quite a bit of, of background to my thinking here um, to show you an observation that really has shaken and now kind of recast my understanding of evangelism and the way I hope to approach it as a church. So I'm going to spend a significant amount of time here because I, well, quite frankly, I want to convince you. <laughs> Here's what I want you to hear more than anything. Here's my observation. Upon reading the scriptures closely through the lens of how do they proclaim? How does Jesus and his disciples evangelize? It occurred to me that though Jesus, Paul, Peter, and others are always preaching the same gospel, they're never preaching it in the same way. Let me read that. To you again, it occurred to me upon reading the scriptures closely that though Jesus, Paul, Peter and others are always preaching the same gospel, they never preach it in exactly the same way. They don't just have a little a little system that they rehearse and they recite to whoever will listen. There's this radical reorientation and shifting and adaptation of their message to the one they are speaking to. It's incredible. It's as if it's as if their evangelism and the gospel becomes tailor made for the people or the person they are hoping to reach. That this one eternal message can flex in a way and can enter into the story of a person right where they are. It finds them right there in categories and, 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 and with, with language, with ideas that are relevant to them. Meets them in their story and then backs them into the story of all stories that we're sharing, the gospel. Their presentation is deeply engaging and intriguingly flexible. Always getting at the same truths, but getting there in so many different ways. I'm just going to start to show you this now. 
Consider a few examples from Jesus in John's gospel. And this is amazing. For the woman at the well, Jesus speaks of himself as the giver of living water. That's John 4.10. In other words, the things that she is really thirsty for, he is able to satisfy at the deepest heart level. So we're here talking about water. Let's talk about water. For the hungry crowds in the wilderness. In John 6, Jesus speaks of himself as the bread of life. Absolutely, I'll give you bread for your belly. But Meanwhile, while we're talking about food and something that you really care about, let me also say this. I am the bread of life. And the stuff that you're really hungry for, I alone can give satisfaction. And in my life, death, resurrection, that's just what I plan to do. Verse 51 of John 6, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Same message. Coming at it a different way. For the man born blind, Jesus speaks of himself as what? The light of the world. Do you realize we have all these amazing pictures of who Jesus is because he's contextualizing his message, tailor making it for the one that he's talking to. So for this man born blind, this man born in darkness, Jesus says, man, I am the light of the world. John nine, five, this man is not only blind in his eyes, he is blind at the deepest level in his heart. And Christ has come to shine light and open eyes There. To those in front of Lazarus's tomb. As the mourners are out and people are weeping and Martha's mad and talking to Jesus. Where were you to the people out in front of Lazarus's tomb? Jesus presents himself, speaks of himself as what? The resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. The veil of death that hangs over all humanity because of our sin, Jesus has come to remove. And in him we have everlasting life, hope beyond the grave. And he takes the occasion of a funeral to get at that deep and abiding gospel Reality. He takes what these people are crying about and what is deeply relevant to them in that moment and he shows how he is, what they're looking for. Did you notice, though he is always preaching the same gospel, he never preaches it in exactly the same way. You will not find him saying the same thing twice, except for if you read the synoptic gospels, but that's not fair. They're recording the same story. That ought to strike us when we think about how do we proclaim. If he is sending us to proclaim and carry on his mission, 
gosh, I want to look like him. What is this all about? You see, he doesn't talk about himself as the bread of life when he's standing outside of Lazarus's tomb. That would not be relevant. No one's hungry here, Jesus. And he doesn't talk about himself as the light of the world when he's talking to a thirsty woman. We're out at the high noon you know, of, of, of the day. I, I don't need light right now. In fact, I'm out right now because this is when the other women and things aren't at the well and I'm a little bit ashamed and so I'm here because I want to hide. Don't talk about light right now. I, talk, I want water. Okay, let's talk about water. He tailors his message to his audience. The way he proclaims the kingdom and shares the gospel is always influenced and shaped by the surrounding context and pressing needs of his listeners. And because Jesus does this, the gospel is always shown to be, and this is, this is the key, it's always shown to be profoundly relevant to what people are dealing with. It's not like Christians pressing in and then talking over and trying to answer questions that nobody's asking. We first start to discern what is it that you are asking and how can I show you that Jesus is the answer on terms that are relevant for you. Because it is absolutely true, you know, the old uh, Sunday school thing. Hey, whatever the question is, raise your hand. Jesus is the answer. That is true. But we get the joy in our evangelism of showing people how that is the case for them. The gospel he presents is not merely relevant, say, to the person's afterlife. We'll we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Absolutely, is it relevant to the person's afterlife? Yes, but they're not thinking about afterlife in that moment. What his evangelism also is, is actually an offer of his abundant life in the here and now. In what they are facing. He offers uh, the woman at the well living water that can flow up within her. Then and there, you see. And that's what we bring. Not just, hey, here's how you get into heaven later. I know you don't care about it now, but you will on that day. It's showing how, wait a minute, that afterlife is actually eternal life. And eternal life, according to the gospel, begins now because he sends his spirit back from that place of glory to us. And it's available now. And so, man, it's not just afterlife, it's abundant life. And that is deeply relevant to every single person you pass by on the street. They're all looking for it in one way or another. Hearing me on that? Is that awesome? Sorry if I'm... I meant to ramp my energy up later, not so early. <laughs> Let me show you this now then from the early church and how the apostles and his disciples did this as well. We see that they too are always adopting their gospel proclamation to reach their particular context. Um, we might actually point out before I get into specific examples from them that Jesus himself, when preparing them for uh, this sort of ministry to go out and proclaim, you want to know what he says? In essence, he says, listen, when I'm gone and things get dicey and they drag you around and you're in big trouble and you're worried about all these sorts of things, what you're going to say, listen, this is what he says. 
Don't worry about what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Luke 12, verse 12. In other words, he doesn't give them a a, a message uh, to recite. A little outline to recite. He gives them a spirit upon which to rely. And that spirit, his spirit, will teach them what to say in the moment. The right things, the right way for the people in the context that will be pertinent, relevant, meaningful. And then we start to see how this ministry works out. We might think of Stephen, for example, in Acts 7, when all the Jews are furious and they're not liking this new Christian thing. They thought it would die with Jesus, but it's just taking off all the more because he's not dead. He's alive, fallen on his church in the spirit that he said would come. And now here they are. Spirit's teaching him what to say. Stephen, Acts 7, talking to his fellow Jews, tailors the message for Jews. Preaches that same one eternal gospel in a way that's relevant to them. So he's quoting. I mean, it's incredible. It's like probably the long, I think it's the longest uh, uh, section of speech in, in the book of Acts. This guy's just going at it with, with, with these Jews. And he's, he's basically recounting the whole history of Israel to them. And all along the way, he's making this, these notes to kind of show, man, Jesus is the Christ you all are looking for, even though you rejected him. And we can go uh, to another scenario with Paul in Acts 17, and we see something entirely different. You see, because now Paul is in Athens, and he's talking to Gentiles and pagans. And so the Holy Spirit in this moment helps him to tailor the message to the people he's speaking with so that it's relevant. And what we find is that absolutely, is he still talking about, is he still sharing the same story? Is he still referencing the story of the Old Testament moving into the New? Absolutely he is. But now he's doing it in a different way. He doesn't actually quote the Old Testament like Stephen does. Instead, he's quoting their philosophers and their poets, the Greek and and the the Roman philosophers and poets, the people that they know about. And he's talking about their idols that he saw in their city. And he talks about how Jesus is the answer to all that they're looking for. So the, the Jews are looking for the Christ. Stephen shows from their scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Paul's talking to the Gentiles. Though he's talking about the story of God in the scriptures, he, he, he uses all their stuff to show, man, this is what's going on in the hearts of your people. This is, this is what I'm trying to draw you into. This is, what, this is how the world really is. Your poets know it. You know it. Let me tell you more about it. He meets them where they are, and then he's going to back into the fullness of the story, the fullness of the gospel. Another pretty awesome example is with Philip. Um, you, write, you might remember 
the story there in uh, Acts 8 where Philip, again, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Spirit's telling him where to go in these moments. And uh, there's this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And I guess the Spirit, I wish I hadn't experiences like this. God, please, tells me, go over there and talk to that man. And so Philip goes, and here's what I want you to catch. Philip doesn't interrupt this man's thought. He doesn't interrupt where this man is in the scriptures and the sorts of things that are pressing on him in that moment. Philip doesn't interrupt that train of thought to kind of recite his own uh, gospel outline that he memorized in Evangelism 101. Instead, he meets the eunuch right where he's at. And he preaches the gospel from there with questions that he's really asking in that moment. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Did you hear that? Beginning with this scripture, the one that Philip was struggling with. Or I'm sorry, the, the eunuch was struggling with. Let's start there and then let's back into the story and I'll show you it all. So again, though these men are always preaching the same gospel, they never preach it in exactly the same way. We will look in vain to see the same uh, recitation of facts or, or gospel points. Is it always the same? Absolutely. Don't hear me say we're shifting around and changing and the gospel changes. No way. I'm just saying there is a dynamic aspect as we contextualize and as we meet people, as we, to some degree, like Jesus incarnate, come into their story and pull them into the story of God. Now, of course, the same kind of thing is actually hinted at right here in our text, believe it or not. Um, I see three hints, but I'll spare you and I'll show you only two. When Jesus puts proclamation of the gospel alongside healing their bodies, I think he's actually getting at this point. I think this is actually a hint towards what I'm talking about, this adapting the gospel message that we bring to the needs, to the pressing needs of the people we're trying to reach. Because what is healing but the stuff that they're really feeling in the moment? The stuff I'm really facing, the pains, the aches, the illness, the the demons, whatever it is, the stuff that is just pressing in on them, while we declare the gospel of the kingdom, we're going to show them how the king is relevant to what they're really facing. We're going to let that kingdom touch them there and now. The gospel, it seems, is not this sort of hit and run with words, but we meet them right where they're at. The gospel is proclaimed in the context of um, authentic curiosity and compassion. Uh, there is listening and learning even in our proclaiming. I think that's what it means. How do you know where they need to be healed unless you talk about what hurts? About what they're dealing with. We're genuinely caring about these people, their stories, the stuff that keeps them up at night, and we're meeting them with Jesus in that.
so much more dynamic, so much more relevant, so much more true to fact. Second hint uh, that I'll point out for you is, is found there in Christ's, instru- Christ's uh, instruction that he gives, verse 4. When the apostles come into a village, he says, whatever house you enter, what? Stay there. Stay there. Why? Stay there. Don't go moving around. The first house that opens its doors to you, stay there. Why? Because I think in staying there, you actually get to know the people. It sets up the relational context into which you can meaningfully minister the gospel. to Both this family, but then also to the village that you're in. Now, we'll see in a few weeks, there may be other reasons for this, but certainly the relational piece is there. Go and stay. What does Jesus do? But he comes towards us, comes into our story, and he walks with us. He has the advantage of being God, so he knows us immediately. But still he stays, and he, 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 he knows our hearts, and he touches us with the gospel, with his power. There. So, All of this means, therefore, that we need an approach to evangelism that can scale and flex and shift depending on the person or people we're talking to. That we actually also want to find a way to to always be preaching the same gospel and yet never in quite the same way. Always listening for the Spirit and what He would have us speak in the moment. It might be helpful to see the gospel as a diamond. Um, So we have one diamond, one message, right? But then countless facets to it. Countless ways of viewing it. Countless ways of approaching it. Countless ways uh, 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 of seeing this gospel, talking about it. And that's what's so amazing. So here's what I'm seeing as we look at Jesus and the church and then even in our text. There is this way of approaching the one gospel, the diamond, uh, according to the facet, by highlighting this or that facet or something that seems relevant to them in the moment. And by approaching the gospel through that facet, we actually bring them into the whole. We meet them in their story and then back into the story. Are you with me? Am I losing you? No, one, no one's giving me any. I'm losing you. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we'll have to talk afterwards. <laughs> Just kidding. So then here's the question. How do we start to develop this? And that's what I'm going to do with the rest of our time uh, this week and next. How how do we even begin to uh, try to develop an approach to evangelism that can scale and flex and contextualize and and meet people where they are? Well, I'm going to give us three things that uh, I think we need. First, we need to know the story. We need to know the gospel. Second, We need to know how the story touches our own story. We need to know how the gospel actually meets us in the things that are pressing on us in this moment. 
And then third, we need to know how the story and our own story touch their story. Okay? Now, so first, we need to know the story. Uh, It's a bit ironic, perhaps, but in order to really flex and contextualize in our sharing of the story with others, we have to first know the whole thing by heart. Um, The way that you might think of this is uh, like if you're a musician and you're learning an instrument, say a guitar. Uh, unfortunately, I never did this because I really didn't take much lessons, but this is the way you're supposed to do it, and I would be much better if I had. Uh, the first thing that you need to be doing is giving yourself over to learning chords, notes, uh, scales, right? So you're giving yourself over to stuff that feels a little bit technical. You need to kind of know how the guitar works, how music works, or in our example, you need to know the whole story. But then what happens is, is as you know the scales, well, suddenly you find that you can jam with your bros on a Friday night. And when you're playing and you're playing in this key and you're playing that song, you don't play the whole scale. Ding, 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 ding. No, you highlight certain notes. You know how to use the scale to, to, to kind of uh, uh, highlight and, 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 and uh, what would be the word? Color the music in the moment. You learn how to, I'm going to hit this note here. I'm going to do a little riff up here. Because you know the whole, you can get into and contextualize, if you will, uh, for the music at hand. And the same sort of thing um, is what we're doing when we are bringing the gospel to people. We know the whole story first. And in knowing that, we start to see and be able to identify, oh, here's what I want to bring out now as we try to back into this. Here's what's relevant for them in this moment, is to try to meet them with Jesus. So I want to give you uh, an outline, if you will, in a moment here for the story, something that we can really hang our own uh, uh, minds on and remember when we're out and about and rehearse to ourselves even and to one another. But before I give you that simple outline, let me first identify two um, presuppositions that must be settled in our hearts before we ever begin to evangelize. And this is important. So if you're falling asleep, now's the time to perk up just for a moment. Two things that we need to have settled in our heart before we go out to evangelize that will just, I think, set steel and down the spine of our souls. First presupposition We are all in God's world, believer or unbeliever. We are all in God's world. Because this is the case, Christianity will actually have the most compelling worldview. Christianity, the, the, the story of the Bible, will actually make the most sense of the facts and experiences of life. I wish I could just take you back to some of my classes on apologetics at Westminster. This became so plain. We do not have to be ashamed of our worldview as if it's kind of uh, irrational and uh, a little bit kind of like You know, old mythology, legend, and kind of weird, like kids that still believe in Santa Claus. No way. This story makes makes sense of everything that the people in this world are feeling, struggling with, and can't quite put their fingers on. 
I wonder if you know that everyone, in essence, is living within some sort of story. Some sort of storyline. It has a beginning and an end. Say, take the secular uh, atheist, for example. The beginning began from nothing, and it's going to end with nothing. And they're living somewhere in between those two poles that kind of set up the framework for their worldview. But within that, they can't make sense of so many things, like why they have a deep uh, sense of what's right and wrong. And that was evil, and that's good, and something's missing in my life, and what's wrong with death? That doesn't seem right. And they can't make sense of any of that. We came from nothing, we're going to nothing. Why do I have this sense that there's more? That there is meaning. If that's true, this life would be meaningless, but... I still live like it's meaningful. And so we walk into God's world, you guys, and we bring his word and the story uh, to people who live in his world. And it will be, it is the most compelling worldview. It will make the most sense of the facts, whether they want to admit it or not. Therefore, we can move into the culture with total confidence that his word will bring clarity and coherence to all, to all that people face. We will be able to give words to the things they're really feeling. Because this is God's world. Second presupposition. First, we're all in God's world. Second, we're all in God's image. We're all in God's image. This is also critical when it comes to evangelism, that we understand not just believers who are being renewed in the image of God, but all people, unbelievers too, have been created in the image of God. And because this is the case, though people are in rebellion against God as sinners, something of his truth will still resonate within them. There still uh, abides a, a vague awareness of God. There are are echoes of Eden still kind of lingering in their soul. The um, author of Ecclesiastes, uh, probably Solomon, puts it this way. He, God, has put eternity into man's heart. They're in God's world. They're in God's image. They have this lingering sense that, man, God is there. And I've been created for him. And this is God's world. And I am God's creature. They know that their life isn't going the way that they should. They know that their story breaks down a bit. And doesn't make sense of all that they are experiencing. But they're they're not willing to turn and come back home. Paul drives this point home for us in Romans 1.21 when he talks about the unbelieving world and he says, although they knew God, did you hear that? Although they knew God, knew God, every person you talk to knows God. Is that crazy? Is the man in his image? Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So make no mistake. They know God. 
They just don't like him. This is God's world. We're all in God's image. That's a profound starting point to share the story. Now, uh, let me give you this outline I told you I would provide. Um, There are many ways that people sum up the gospel or the story, but I have found it most helpful to break the story down into what I would call four chapters. And again, just this should orient you when you're hoping to share or hoping to find something relevant to where a person's at. Uh, Four chapters in the story, really of the Bible, the story of the gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Most every outline I know of the gospel incorporates these four chapters in one way or another. Um, I don't have time to go deeply into this, obviously. Um, I just wrote out basically brief synopsis of it. It's actually on the back of your handout. I'm going to read it to you here. I would encourage you. Close your eyes, listen, let God capture your heart afresh by the story, the story that we're all living in, whether we admit it or not. Chapter one, creation. In an overflow of love, God created all things. And he made humanity in his image. And put us over all that he had made. And he saw that it was very good. Chapter 2. Fall. We had God. We had each other. And we had the world. But it wasn't enough for us. Being with God wasn't enough. We wanted to replace him. Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And we all have followed suit. Because of this, God has put us and the world under a curse. We no longer have access to his presence. We no longer enjoy deep fellowship with each other. But instead, our relationships are characterized by selfishness and strife. Our work, our labor is hard, stressful, and vain. Our hearts are restless. And in the end, we die eternally. Chapter 3. Redemption. But in the midst of the curses, God, in undeserved grace, makes a promise. A child will come who will overturn the curse and redeem us. The whole Bible is given over to tracing the line of this child until he comes in the person of Jesus Christ, God's own son. Jesus lives the life we should have lived. And yet on that cross, he dies the death we should have died. He takes the full weight of the wrath of God. He becomes a curse for us. And when he rises on the third day, we know the curse has been overturned by grace. We know the grave has been overwhelmed by life. In him, we can be forgiven, restored, made new. Consummation, chapter 4. And through him, God will make all things new in the end. A new heavens and new earth. But he's postponing this last act to make time for people to come to him. You see, his work on the cross isn't automatically applied to us. It must be received like a free gift by faith. We must own up to our rebellion, our mess, lay down our arms, turn from our sin It never delivered on its promises anyways. And trust in his work on our behalf. 
And when once we do, we are united with him, born again by his spirit. Our hearts of stone made soft and alive. And he starts to put our broken lives back together one piece at a time until at last we see God again face to face in paradise. Now that's it. That's the story. That's, in essence, it's one way of putting the story, the gospel. And we've got to know that. We've got to know that by heart. You say, okay, Nick, well, we got our outline. I'm just going to memorize that, and I'm ready to go out and reach the lost. I'm going to recite, I'm going to read them what you just said, right? No. Again, we're learning our scales here so we can go out and play jazz, if you will, with the people in our lives. We want a, a, an evangelism that scales and flexes and shifts and, and adapts to the people we are talking to so that we can meet them in their story and then back them into the story. Now, I'm only going to touch on this as we close, but the second thing that we needed to know was know how the story touches our own story. And I put that before we go out and reach others. Because ironically or interestingly, I think the key to ministering the gospel in a meaningful way to others is actually first learning to minister it in a meaningful way to ourselves. Just seeing how the gospel, the story, touches our own story. Now, I need you to mark this. You say, I know my convert, I know my testimony. I share my testimony. I know how I got converted. I'm not talking about that. You want to know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about right now, today, what you're facing. How does the gospel, the, the story I just read, that we were created for and fell from him, God has come, sent his son, redeemed his place, the spirit in us is holding us till the end, bringing us to glory. How does that storyline and his spirit come into this moment and affect what you are facing right now? Not how did it convert you, how will it secure you for the afterlife, but how is it bringing the abundant life to you right now? I think if we can't make that connection for ourselves, we will never be able to make that connection when we're out on the streets. Maybe... Even as I've been talking, you've been so distracted with something else, something really dogging you in your life right now. You're like, man, we're talking about evangelism. I need help. I'm dealing with this. Well, now's your time. Maybe something's just been on you. You can't even listen to what I'm saying. And what I'm asking now is, how does the gospel, how does the news, the good news about Jesus the King meet you there? You start to get a handle on that. And man, you'll be able to play jazz in the neighborhoods. What is it for you? What's the thirst that you're facing right now? For which Jesus is the living water. What is the thing that you're hungering for? Right now, for which Jesus is the bread of life. 
What's the, the, the blindness or the darkness that you're facing right now for which Jesus is the light of the world? What's the shadow of death that you feel is upon you even now for which Jesus is the resurrection and the life? How does the story touch your own story right now in this room today? Let's just think about it together. What are the cravings? What are the longings? What's the thirst and the hunger? Ah, if I just could get more money. Ah, if I could just get more people to like me, to, to be accepting of me. What is it? What's the thirst? What's the hunger? Listen, Jesus is the answer. You back into this story, here's what you find. Man. What you're longing for is what you lost in Eden. At creation and in the fall. What we long for is what we once had. And that's what Jesus comes to bring us back into. Do you want money, man? How about the new heavens and new earth? How about the inheritance that he offers to the children in the light? You want acceptance? How about his unflagging justification of you at the cross? Where in his resurrection, he, he vindicates your righteousness before the Father forever. You will be accepted, loved, cherished. You are accepted, loved, cherished now. In a more meaningful way than someone else, some girl or some guy or some peer could ever give to you. And water just comes streaming and the bread of life just comes falling down from heaven. In those moments, what you're facing right now. What is it that you're fearing, that you're suffering, that you're dealing with? What is your, your, your darkness and your shadow of death? What is that? Is it cancer? Is it a broken relationship? Is it poverty? What is it that you're dealing with? I mean, think about it. Back into the story for a moment. Get your eyes clear and let the gospel have its way with you again. Why do we suffer? Well, it's very clear because we still live in a fallen world. It's not the way he initially intended it, right? Creation, fall. But Christ comes in, man. And he bears in his own body the marks of our suffering. And the, 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 the fallen place that we live. He has no hole, you know, no home to lay his, 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 what does it say? He doesn't, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but he's sleeping on the ground when he's here. He gives his life, man. He suffers. He goes into the shadow of death and he breaks out in light and he brings that into this moment. He says, this is where I'm taking you. I can get you through the cross to glory. And that comes streaming in light pierces the darkness, the voice from outside the tomb. Lazarus, wake up. Resurrection and life is here. This moment. We learn to do that. We learn to see how, how the story touches our own story. In every moment, every, every fear and desire and craving, all the stuff we face, man, we are one step closer to being able to take that in a meaningful way relevant way to others. Let's pray. God, we want to reach our city. We want to proclaim the way that you proclaim, God. 
We want to preach the gospel the way that we see you doing that in the scriptures. The gospels. The book of Acts, the early church. God, I pray your spirit would come and minister to us even now. Minister the gospel to us. Walk us back into the story. Help us to live in light of it. Help it not to just be a few truths that we believe, but a world that we live in. And we bring that to others, God, in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.